to this week's episode of Working for the Rich and Famous. Hope you've all had a good week. Hope you're all enjoying the episode so far. As I keep saying, we try and sort of get the mixed bag on, try and speak to different people who've done different things in different types of homes. So really excited to get straight into this week's episode. This week we have Rian on the show. And Rian has been working in the private sector now for... Uh, Oh, what, five plus years, yeah? Uh, and um, so haven't been doing it for as long as some of the other guests on the show, but has got some really solid bits of experience. And um, similar to our episode last week, is a true butler through and through, but whose role has evolved over time. So really keen to sort of get into this one and find out a little bit more about him and how he got into it and what he's been doing since. So um, welcome to the show, Rian. How are you? Yes, thank you. Thank you very much for having me. I'm absolutely grand. I've had a lovely day. Um, how are you doing? Yeah, no, good, thank you. So um, I have had it clarified for me already, but just to clarify everybody, Rian sounds Irish, but he's not Irish. Correct. <laughs> so tell us all where you're from. Uh, I'm from Belgium. I'm from a town very close to the border with the Netherlands. Mm -hmm. um, Butling is not a thing at all where I'm from, uh, my home country, and that's why I'm here. Ah, well, it's strange, isn't it? Because it must be weird, especially if you've got friends and stuff back home. They must be like, what is it you do? Uh, it's such an unknown to a lot of people, isn't it? Bizarrely, it's even, it's even over here when I, when I meet people in the pub and they say, what, so what do you do for a living? And I say, I'm a butler. And they're like, what? Does that still exist? Do people actually do that? It's, it's, um... Yeah, it's my, honestly, so to, to us lot that are in the sector, it's obviously a huge industry, but I get the same. I'll so often say to people, oh, you know, we recruit, you know, for private households. They're like, oh, that's very special. It's very niche. Do many people have that? And it's like, yes, it's a completely saturated market. There's a million of us doing it. Um, but uh, yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Um, so you're from Belgium. Are you therefore bilingual? Um, only English and Dutch. I, my French has died a death uh, many, many years ago. You say only, that's still two. <laughs> that's still cool. Um, I suppose if you um, don't speak the French so often, then, you know, why would you? And so, what if you use it, you lose it. Well, exactly, exactly. So you grew up there. Butlering wasn't a thing at all. The private sector wasn't a thing at all. You knew nothing about it. So where, how did you learn about it? So right across the border, so only like about half an hour from where I lived, um, there was a butler school, the International Butler Academy by Robert Wenekis. And at some point, my mother showed me a newspaper article. I was 17 or 18. I was about to go to university. And they were doing a two-page spread on, this, um, on this, this institute. And she came and showed me, thinking that the, the, the quirkiness and the historical aspect would appeal to me. Um, and I read about it. And I was, it, it, it was like... Uh, um, you know, like, like the heavens opened and a beam of sunlight came out. It, it, it was like a real vocational thing. This is so amazing. Sounds fantastic. I'd love to do this for a job. Cool. And so from there, you thought, well, were you able to do much research at that stage into it? Or was it, were you just, did you just sort of plow into thinking about the course? Well, it was, it was straight onto, onto the internet um, from that point. But there wasn't a whole pile I could find. There's the old, the old article, you, you see them pop up every year or so in the Daily Mail. This butler makes a hundred grand a year doing this work. Would you like to? Um, that, that style of thing. And, and obviously for, you know, for someone in their, in their late teens thinking of what they want to do with their life, it sounds fantastic and magical. And of course, that's what I want to do. How can I? Yeah. Well, you have to you know, do a course and, and go to a big house. And, um, and I, 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 tried to, um, I tried to explain that to my parents. I said, look, this is a fantastic career. I can make a hundred grand a year. Wouldn't that be lovely? Um, and my parents said, you know, we don't really think it's going to happen like that. We have never heard of people doing this kind of work. Course looks really expensive. We think your future is very uncertain. Perhaps maybe a career in sort of more traditional direction would be, uh, would be a nice thing to consider just for safety. It's like, great, Mum, thanks. You're the one that showed me the article. <laughs> um, what, were, what, were you, what were you doing out of interest for work then? Was it, was it hospitality at all or something completely different? Um, no, I, I, tried, um, I tried a couple of things in university, neither of which piqued my interest. I tried linguistics for a bit. 
Um, then a new department of uh, law opened up close to my hometown. I tried that. I found it very, very dry. I found it very, very boring. Mm-hmm. Uh, no offense to people who are doing it. I've got lots of fantastic mm-hmm. friends who are legal people, but I couldn't, I just couldn't bring myself to, uh, to, to study it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, I, I started working. And in, in Belgium, it's, it's difficult to get any, any decent kind of work uh, without, a, without a degree. And after a couple of jobs and in call centers and the like, which I didn't, didn't really take to, um, I said, look, I'm, I'm taking the leap. I'm moving to Ireland where taxes are lower and, and degrees don't count for as much and you get paid a lot better. And I worked in IT for, uh, for two years in Cork. Okay, cool. So that's obviously where you, where you picked the accent up from. So you're there for a couple of years and then it must have got to a point where you thought, no, nah, I want to do this. It must, you must have not been able to forget about it then while you were there. Yeah, no, absolutely. It, it was it was always my idea to to just use the job as a kind of a, a money saving stepping stone. Like I'm going to get to the point where I have enough money to pay myself into the course, which stood at about fifteen grand at the time. Fifteen. Um, fifteen grand for two months. Yes, ten oh weeks. Oh my god, that's mental. It, and you know, I I, I can co- totally understand my parents saying like, you know, this is a really big gamble for something that might not end up being anything at the end. Um, so, so look, looking back, like I, t- I totally understood their reluctance yeah. to uh, to let me do that. But you know, after after two years in Ireland, the company said, right, we're we're closing up, we're moving to Tenerife, where it's cheaper, um, and everybody who doesn't want to come, like you know, goodbye. Um, so I got made redundant, and um, I, I was like, this is you know, it, it's an hour and hour moment. Like I'm in between jobs, um, I haven't got anything lined up. I got a redundancy payment. Um, Let's let's give it a go. And I told my parents, I said, look, this is really what I want to try. And they said, if you're so hell bent on doing it, we'll give you financial push that you need. We'll send you to uh, to Bowling School. And off I went with my little little black suitcase and my my business suit and trying to learn how to tie a tie on YouTube. You know what? Actually, I I didn't realise the course was that much. I think that's really expensive. But I suppose. The, the, the flip side is, if you're spending that punch on a course, you're going to give it absolutely everything. And you're going to really, you have to make a career from it. You're not going to spend that and then change your mind after two months. So I suppose it, yes. it, um, it gets a certain level of commitment from you, doesn't it? So, okay, cool. So let's talk about the course then. So, um, like, I get, we get asked this all a lot, asked this a lot. People saying, I want to in the industry, should I do a butler course? Do I really learn that much? And does it really give me a foot in the door? What would your response to that be? Um, to people who ask me or, or tell me that they want to enter into the private, private service sector, I strongly recommend that they do a course, um, be it the one I did or Simeon um, Rossi's course or the British Butler Institute or uh, John Petman's got an amazing school, now exclusive household staff school. Mm-hmm. Um, just it, it, it gives you so much. Um, just just to give you an example, there were 16 people that started um, the course I was on, and three of those dropped off despite knowing that they wouldn't get their money back um, during the 10 weeks, just saying, this isn't for me. I won't be able to do this for a job. I can't sustain this level of pressure. I'm out. Wow. Yeah, so it just goes to show, doesn't it? It's not... I think people think that... it. It can be seen as quite an easy job. I think some people would think that, but there's so, as we know, there is so much to it. So you must have literally, having got no experience before, been taught the basics of, of a whole range of things. Did it cover pretty much everything, would you say? It, it did, and it covered a lot of things that I had never expected to, uh, to be necessary. Like, like all, our, all our instructors, um, to make point clear, were... Um, professional butlers with many, many years of experience. Um, we did uh, field trips to uh, restaurants in Paris where they explained us how to sh- pair champagne with food. Um, we did trips to vineyards where they told us how specific wines are made, how you can recognize a grape, all that kind of stuff. Cigar factories, jewelers, you name it. Um, and obviously the whole setup of the course was that the, the gentleman, Robert Wenicus, um who ran the school was was professional butler himself, and he lived in with his family in uh, Castle Castle East in the Netherlands. They've since moved to a different larger premises, um, and all the students were supposed to act as butlers for him and his family. And every couple of days, three or four days, a new head butler was chosen from the students who had to co- coordinate everybody else and who had to serve as personal butler to 
Mr. Wanagas and his family. Um, but it was also things like um, getting dressed really quickly. We had to arrive in business suit every day, just in case there was a lecture or something. We spent about half the time in business suit, half the time in bottle suit. Um, but at least once a day, we had to rush up to the, to the dressing room and change from a three-piece business suit into a three-piece bottle suit, eventually being able to do it in less than two and a half minutes. Oh. And it was made very clear that if at the end of the course you were not able to do it in less than that time, you weren't even allowed to partake in the examination. Oh my God! See, how did you even have even thought that? When in like, is that applicable in real life? Do you have scenarios at work now where you have to get changed really quickly? <laughs> it, it, it really is. It's it's, and I I stand amazed by how how important it is to have the exact an exact replica of the suit you are wearing for service on a hook behind the door of the pantry at every possible time. If you're serving um, a big shoot dinner, you know, 20, 25 people, you're doing butler service at the table and a guest suddenly turns and knocks your tray out and you get a couple of mm. pheasants flying all over you, sauce all down your front. I would, you know, it, just the thought of having to serve a table and my employer with a suit full of sticky juices, I, I, I think I'd go and hang myself in shame. Um, at, at a time like that, you have to be able to rush back to the kitchen, suit off, suit on, two and a half minutes, nothing, nothing's happened, nobody noticed. The rest of the staff can cover the drinks for two and a half minutes and you're back in looking fresh as if nothing ever happened. Wow, hadn't even, th hadn't even thought about that side of things. That's so interesting. Okay, so you do your two months, you, I assume, completely fall in love with the profession. You're just one of those people that just take to it completely, which is great. You're probably thinking, phew, not a waste of 15 grand. My parents aren't <laughs> going to kill me. Brilliant. Um, then what happens? How did you find it ever so difficult getting your first job with zero experience, just the course? Or how, how did that work with you getting your first position? Um, so, yeah, so I, I, I did have the absolute best time of my life. I'd, 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 um, best two months I've ever spent anywhere. Um, so yeah, I graduated in November 2014 and um, I moved back to Ireland where I was based at the time. And I said, right, I'm, I'm going to start um, applying now. And initially I thought, you know, as, as people often do, I thought the jobs would come flying in the door, but obviously with, with, with no, no experience with any, any practical families or households or anything, um, it, it didn't go quite as smoothly. Um, but then about a month later, I got a call back from... Um, Stately Home in Norfolk, where I had applied for first footman position. And uh, they said, look, we're really interested in you as a person. We like, you know, you've done that course. You've obviously invested a lot of time and energy into it. Um, we'd like to see you. So I, um, I flew to London and, and took a very arduous uh, journey to Norfolk, which was a lot further away than it seemed on the map, mm -hmm. um, by, by bus train. And... Um, I went for an interview there with, uh, with, with the butler and with, uh, with the hall manager and then with the family eventually as well. Um, and they were very, very nice, very appreciative of me, me coming all that way. And um, sure, a couple of days later, they said, you know, we really like you. We'd like to give you the job. And of course, I was, I was ecstatic, you know, with a big, big giant house, um, really Downton Abbey-ish feel about it. Uh, they, they gave me an apartment. My girlfriend could move with me. Um, I thought, you know, here, here we go. We're, we're off. We're launched. And, um, and there, I, there I went. It's, uh, yeah. Wow. We talked about this before in the podcast, and it's so true that, that people's first job in the industry is make or break for their career, really. Because if that first job is everything you hoped it would be, it will cement your dream of working private sector forever. If that first job, because obviously we all know in this industry, there are some crappy jobs out there with some crappy clients and all the rest. But if your first job was really bitterly disappointing and was not what you imagined, could have changed the course for you, couldn't it? It could have, it really could have. Um, and, and as it turned out, it was, it, it, it was, um, Obviously, much more than I'd bargained for because there was so much around every corner that I'd never, never thought about doing or never heard of doing that I had to learn from scratch. Um, but there was so many amazing people supporting me. It was Holcomb Hall has, has a fantastic team of, of, of staff. Um, a lot of the people I worked with had been there for many, many years at the time, um, which obviously speaks of, of what, what amazing people they are to work for as well. Um, 
and I, I, I learned so much. It, it, it was it was a really it was an extraordinary experience. It was almost like um, you know you've you've done the Buckman course as a sort of a um, a preschool kind of a thing, if you will. And now your real education is right around the corner here in this in this massive massive Norfolk estate. Um, and, yeah, it, it, was a, it was a real education anyways. Yeah, I bet. So let's talk about the role itself then. So it sounds like quite a grand formal property. Um, you talked about you, uh, the role was an underbutler. Uh, yeah. Oh, footman, sorry. Uh, so yeah, like I suppose the, even, the ter- even these terms are quite traditional because in the podcast of last week, a lot of people talk about the modern butler and how a lot of homes nowadays want more of this modern butler that could turn the hand to anything rather than sort of more formal stuff but there are still definitely certain homes and stately homes and estates that have much more of a sort of formal old school structure so tell us a bit about the team there like how many people have you were there how many butlers were there how was it how, did, how was it set up um so there there was um so the role was 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 listed initially as, as a footman role and then it turned into sort of a houseman slash older butler um role combining combining the two um, there was one butler there who had been there from from the very start that uh, the family moved in. Um, it was it was then Viscount Cook at the time. He's now the eighth Earl of Leicester, um, and the butler had been there for what, about ten years at the time. Um, and there was there was a large amount of staff in the in, in the hall itself. You know, there was there was uh, plumbers and electricians walking around. There was uh, other housemen, a hall manager, a facilities manager, a large cleaning team. Uh, the grounds staff, gardeners and groundskeepers, and all that was huge. Uh, we had we had gamekeepers, and, and I mean the extended estate has 250 to 300 people of staff um, that, that they employ across the year, and a lot of those are there um, all through the year. Um, and I had to, um, I, I suddenly had to learn to, how to do a lot of things. How do you lay a decent fire? I'd never had an open fire before. I didn't know how to do that. I didn't cover it in butler school, as you just you know pile up a heap of sticks and then put a heap of bigger sticks on top of that. Is that a fire? I didn't know. Um, It's, it's one of those things that people think comes, comes, um, you know, you'll, you'll take to it naturally, but you have to, you have to be explained a lot of different things. Um, And it was how to, you know, we, we, we'd learned in, in auto school how to look after silver and how to polish silver and that kind of thing. Um, In Holcomb, they had this massive silver room and then it's like, you know, what do we use this bit for? What do we use that bit for? Oh, we're doing a it's a shooting season now. We're doing a big, a big formal dinner um, for a shoot. We suddenly have to carry these these massive silver trays. There's eight pheasants on top. It weighs you know ten pounds, twelve pounds, and you have to walk for four or five minutes to get from the the serving area to the dining area, and you have to do it as quick as possible. Otherwise, it can get cold. And um, there was it, it was a lot of learning. It, it it never it never really stopped. But I think I think it's a key point. Um, even even for for you know at, at me at, at this point having worked for six years in, in in private homes, and I don't think that will change in sixteen years or twenty six years. I think it's a key point for butlers that you can never stop learning. Once you stop learning, you're done. You, you can you can just stop working. Completely agree. Like, what is the point? What is the point of being in a job that you know how to do standing on your head? How boring must that be? Um, and also, how arrogant must you be to think you know it all as well? Yes. Like, what a strange mindset to be in to think, oh, I'm, I, I know how to be a butler. But it's not so much, so much for the boredom side of things, but I feel as, as, as a butler, there's two important things that you do for your, for your principals. You save them money and you save them time. Because those are the two things that, obviously, money they generally have a lot of, but time they don't. And they, you have to try and, and, and equalize that as well as possible for them. And you can save the money by learning how to do things that you would otherwise have to get a contractor in for. Mm-hmm. I've learned a lot in my, in my current job. I've learned a lot about how, um, how boilers work, how to replumb a toilet, how to, um, you know, if, if we've got a leak somewhere, how to shut off different valves, how to, how to isolate um, radiators or whatever that are leaking, which I didn't know before. Before, I would have had to call a plumber in for that, and he'd say, oh, this is fixed. It's been five minutes. That's 100 quid, please. Um, now I can just go to my employer and say, look, this was the problem. I fixed it. You know, nobody needs to come in for that. And I, I think you, you constantly have to keep updating yourself with, with, with that kind of thing. Um, I'd like to learn more about how car engines work, for example, that if, if the boss says the car isn't starting, there's something wrong with it, I can have a look at it and try to fix it before having to cart it off to the garage and say, look, 
you know, it's going to cost what, 300, 400, 500 quid just to get them have a look at it and fix something really simple that I could have done with half an hour in a spanner. That's such a good attitude to have and why you're doing ever so well in your career because that's exactly what principals want, isn't it? Is they want resourceful staff that are willing to go above and beyond. And so many people might look at the Oliver Butler and think, oh, you just do service. How wrong are they? The Oliver Butler is nowadays anyway. Oh. oh my God, you must do absolutely everything. There's must have, there can't be much in the house that you aren't able to do or haven't done. Yeah, you're, 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 it's all encompassing, isn't it? I, I don't know if, you, if, you, if you've seen the film, uh, the Disney film Aladdin. Um, you're as a butler, you're basically like the genie, you know, there's a couple of simple rules. You can't make people fall in love. You can't bring people back from the dead. You can't kill people because it's not a moral thing to do. But apart from that, anything goes. If your employer asks, make me a prince, you go and sit in your corner with your scissors and your gold paint and you make them a nice little crown and you do everything that you can that is in your power to make them as princely as possible in the history of princing. <laughs> I absolutely love that. That's brilliant. Um, but it is so true. Um, also, as well, from your point of view, like you're, you're constantly upskilling. You're making yourself a more valuable employee. You're making yourself more um, uh, indispensable, all the rest. Like it's just like look at the skills you have now compared to what you had six years ago. It must be just like poles apart. Um, okay, so your role in your first household, so just to explain to people, in your career, you've had two solid homes that you've worked with. So it's great that we've got the comparison. You've got the first one that was ever so much of a sort of very big stately home, a big team, you're a footman. Um, you, how long were you there for? And at what point did you feel that you were ready to move on? Uh, I was there for just under two years. And at the time, I was looking for a bit more responsibility um to take on a bit more work there was so many people to share the day-to-day -the -day management of the hall and of, of the of the events with um that i always ended up doing the, the, the sort of the small things that fell off the management table and i wanted to get more involved with things and at the same time um i, I was getting a bit tired of of, of norfolk as a as, as a place mm -hmm. um I've, I've always maintained it's a lovely place that i'll love to retire to um if, if, if i ever do um but you know it's very flat it's very quiet the average age of people is 104 it's it's i, I wanted to be a bit closer to the, the theaters and the museums and um so i i, I put put feelers out there and, and after not a very long time at all um i got this this call saying there's this um this estate manager positions come up in uh, in Astos and they uh, they'd like to have a word and and was that I, through an agent? was that through a recruitment agency? That was yeah, that was with uh, Jane Urquhart at the time. We've now uh, now ceased trading. Yeah. Um. So uh, so yeah, I went I, I I went down there and I met the people uh, twice in a hotel, and twice at their at their private residence, and it, it was it was quite a long winded process. And I you know the more I I spoke to them and the more I learned about the job, the more I wanted to do it. Mm. And the more they said, oh, there'll be, you know, another round of interviews. I was so nervous. I was like, oh, please, let me, let me have this. <laughs> um, this, is, this is the reason I became a butler. You know? and, and, um, and eventually they said, you know, we, we really like you. We like your experience. We think you'd be a really good fit for the house. We're offering you the job. And um, after, uh, yeah, just, just under two years in, uh, in Norfolk, I had to... Uh, pack up everything and, and move to the to the south side of the country well it's quite nice i think leaving a job that you still love and are passionate about you didn't let yourself get to the point where you were unhappy there or all the rest and you're leaving no. a family. you left a job um that you still probably really enjoyed and you probably still really like the family so you went from um a sort of butler role into an estate manager role that sounds like quite a step it was it really or like talk tell me about how your role changed um, well, as, as you know, probably being, being in the recruitment industry, they, these, these words of estate manager and house manager and butler, they're used very interchangeably. They, they all tend to mean the same thing. Apart from, obviously, when you work in a really big estate, you've got an estate director and you've got a house manager and you've got a couple of butlers under that, but in general, you know, interchangeable. Um, but yeah, a lot, a lot of things changed. Suddenly there was a lot less entertaining. 
Um, there was a lot more management, uh, paperwork, uh, contractors, building works, um, you know, and, and, and all the all the things you have to do as a private person, and energy companies, internet speeds, all all the stuff, and then looking after other staff, managing staff, trying to maneuver people around, um, things happening in the garden that I didn't normally have to concern myself about before, but suddenly there's there's trees falling over and there's sides of streams caving in and you have to look after that. Um, it, it was a lot more involved, and a lot more hands-on, um, but that's what I wanted to do. That's what I wanted to progress to, um, so I didn't mind, obviously, but it was it was a big change. Well, you never know when you go to new roles, however they're dressed up initially, you never know what the role's going to be until you get there, do you? So I suppose that's still good, though, because the last thing you want is to move to a role that you think is a step up and it's actually a bit of a sidestep. And so, yes. you know, so as, as long as that was there for you, um, has it taken you away from the service side of things that you've loved or does your role still involve enough service for you? No, it's 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 quite uh, quite severely removed me from that. Um, so so I only tend to do service around Christmas these days, maybe for the occasional birthday. Um, my employers don't really entertain; they don't. They, they're very quiet, private kind of people. Um, I valid a lot more than I did in my previous role. Um, so I look after after gentleman's wardrobe, um, and now that we're um, we're out of the lady who does our laundry um, I'm looking after after a lady's wardrobe as well um, but it's 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 certainly uh, put put a big crimp in the in, in the service and I, I know for a fact that um, in, in the future I'd like to transition back to a role that combines the two a bit more which is a house manager slash butler role where I will have more entertaining and hopefully things like shoot weekends and that kind of stuff um, but where I will also be taking all the daily management and running of the house and staff. Yeah, it's just nice to have that sort of balance, isn't it? But I suppose that um, this experience is fantastic, though, because you've got this experience now under your belt, so you can go on with this anywhere, you know, to do anything, yeah. um, which is great. So what's the size of your team that you've got now? Is it, is it a big team? No, it's, 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 a, very, it's a very small team. So there's this, um, six of us, two housekeepers, two gardeners and a chef. Um, and it's, um, it's it's spread over a couple of properties. I look after a couple of properties, all in the UK. Um, but it's it's a lot it's a lot smaller. Obviously, Norfolk was twenty five thousand acres. Here we've got about twenty. Um, but but it's it's because it's such a small team. Um, a lot more tends to land on people, and because I'm the one that's um, the bug always stops with me. Um, so everything that happens, whether it's something that's principally going to be tackled by the gardeners or the housekeepers or the chef it's always going to end up with me so I have to make sure that it's perfect um, a lot of this job you know I, I like to I like to um, tagline the, the role of a, of, of a butler as the pursuit of perfection which is very much what it is and um, especially when you're when you're bearing sole responsibility for everything that happens at the end of the day rather than being able to share it out with a larger management team um, that's uh, that, that hammers true a lot it's so true the first guest we ever had on the podcast russell um he's he said if it's not perfect it's wrong ultimately yes and especially yes. If you've got a principle as he has as had in the past that is incredibly particular when it comes to attention to detail um and if it's not perfect you will know about it and good isn't good enough so and that's fair, you know, they're paying really good money for you to manage their house to the best of your capabilities. And the best of your capabilities has to be perfection. That's why people do this, this I hope people do this job. Yeah. You can't, you can't do it if you, if, you, if you ever say the phrase, um, that's good enough, or, or, or that'll do, mm. you, you, you'll, you know, quit. Yeah. Go, go and do something else. Go and, go and flip burgers at McDonald's. It's, you know... So true. So let's talk a little bit about the wardrobe management because people, people that don't do it have no idea what it involves. Um, so because you would think, like even I would think, my wardrobe at home doesn't take much management. I wear clothes, I put them in the wash, I put them back in the hangers. Um, so what does your, when you talk about managing the gentleman's wardrobe, what does that involve? Um, well, the first thing that a lot of people don't think about, but with which every wardrobe shares, is moths. Um, help me here 
Where do they come from? I've never seen a moth in my wardrobe in my entire life, yet my clothes have holes in them. Where are they? Where do they go? I don't, I don't get it. It really depends. Um, some people have, have curtains in their wardrobe, which both can go and live in. Um, you have rugs, tapestries, which they may lay eggs in. Um, I've had people who've had a wardrobe close to ventilation shafts. Um, it's, it's any the, the, the tiniest things they, they can nip in and out through. And it's not, I mean, it's, it's the larvae that eat the clothes. The moths themselves will, will fly away and go, go off somewhere else. But it's, it's, it's the actual eggs that are in danger and you can't see them obviously after they've been laid. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's important, especially over the summertime, for example, if you have the space to freeze all your woolen clothes, cashmere clothes, all that kind of stuff, because it costs very pleasantly at the, end of the, uh, at the end of the summer, or to have your clothes, if you don't wear them, often dry cleaned regularly, especially, again, woolens, cashmeres, that kind of things that moths prefer. They will eat anything, but they, they tend to go for that kind of stuff first. Have it dry cleaned at least once a month. It kills off all the eggs. You can keep it in your, in your wardrobe safe and get um, you know get moth paper in get uh, lavender bags and all that kind of stuff uh, spread if you've got a lot of wood surfaces in your wardrobe um, oil them once a month with setter oil it keeps moths away um, there's lots of li little different things that you can do that don't change the appearance or, or the the, uh, the experience if you will of your wardrobe um, but that, that makes it so much easier to deal with those those, those pesky things yeah fair. Um, very good to know I'm gonna remember all of those um, do you do packing? So if the, if the principal's going away, do you do the packing? Yes. Do and that, it's, it's, it's funny. Surprise, sorry, that surprises me because I'm thinking, I wouldn't want anyone else to do my packing. They obviously must trust that you know what they need or they tell you what they need. Up to, up to a certain point, they tell me, but it's, it's, it's always stuff that they, they, they don't do themselves. Like bring an extra pair of underwear and socks, at least one. Um, you know, or, or make sure that, uh, that you've got a, if you want to wear a belt, you've got a belt that matches your shoes because just as often my principal will just pull something off the rack and, it, and it'll end up being black shoes with a brown belt or something like that. It's, it's, um, if you're able to do it yourself, it's, it's, um, it's a lot, you know it's done right and you know it won't come back to bite you. Mm. Um, and, and a lot of, a lot of things as well, you know, people pack their own suitcases and, and you go on holiday and you arrive there and everything is creased. Uh, when I pack it, I know it'll come out. It'll come out nice and fresh and clean. And you can put it on and you'll look like it's fresh off the hanger. Um, and, and, you know, you, you often, people often don't realize how much you can, you can really fit into a suitcase. And I, and I secretly suspect my boss that he's trying to test my, my limits on it because it's, it's been progressively that he's been asking, I'm, I'm going away for a couple of weeks and I want you to pack this much stuff into, a, into a, an increasingly tiny suitcase. Um, and, and, and I really think he's, he's trying to gauge where the sort of the level uh, boundary lies with how much I can, I can securely pack into a, into a certain space. But so, so far, I'm, I'm ahead of the curve. Uh -huh. uh, so we'll, we'll try and keep it that way. And when, when, so you say you, uh, you look after the gentleman's wardrobe. Would, they, would there normally be a female member of the team that would look after the, 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 his wife's wardrobe? Uh, normally, normally one of our housekeepers um, does the the ironing and the washing and things for her, and then puts everything away. Um, but she's uh, she's had some some health problems, and she's she's resigned her position because she can't physically do strenuous work anymore. Um, but she uh, so so we we're without a person who does that now. So I do the, the washing and the ironing and that kind of stuff. I still leave her to put it away um, because I, I know she's not very keen on, on, on male members of staff being in, in her personal wardrobe and all that kind of thing. Um, but I just want to make sure that it's, it's fresh and it's clean and she doesn't have to worry about it, that stuff herself. Yeah, fair. So you've been doing this for about six years or so. You obviously love what you do. What would you say are some of the sort of like, what are your daily challenges? like? What do you come up against fairly regularly? Well, well, as, as with as with any as with any job, a lot of daily challenges is down to the the, the personalities of your employers, and they're they're only people like everybody else, and they can wake up in a bad mood and 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 be be ill tempered or be easily irritated on, on certain days, and um, it's it's being able to work around that and being able to be the person that doesn't add to whatever is feeding their frustration. Um, and making things as easy and as nice for them as possible so they can sort of, you know, slide through the day without having to worry about anything much and things appear and disappear magically. And 
And at the end of the day, they feel a lot better just because you've not put any obstacles in their way or added to obstacles that are there. And other things are um, stuff that you only have limited control over. For example, um, there's a big project going on at your house and your employer is working from home for it and the internet speed is insufficient for him to do his work properly. Mm. So you have to call the, the, the company and they say, look, you're in a, in a bit of a difficult area. We can't actually get you better internet speeds than you have. There's only so much you can do about that. Mm. And trying to do the best you can with the tools you have and being able to turn that into, if not a satisfactory solution, then at least a satisfactory explanation for your employers can be a challenging thing. Mm. But at the end of the day, it's all about trying your hardest and being straightforward and honest with people. And you'd be amazed how far that gets you. Yeah. And I think if, as long as you can be seen to be doing all you can, then that's, that will get you with the respect from the employer. It's when they... Leave, leave, a, leave a paper trail. Very important. Yeah. Write it all down. Have it all tracked. Yeah, exactly. Um, do you, as a butler stroke house manager, um, cover other people? Do you find yourself having to cook every now and then, having to clean, or are you quite sort of set within the role that you do? You do cover. I think I think in in the in the sort of the grand machinery of of, of a private house, the butler is the only cog or the only part that uh, has shape shifting capabilities. You know, housekeepers keep house and they might do laundry on occasion. Um, housemen lift and shift things and they do DIY and maintenance and that kind of stuff and gardeners tend to the garden and sure you can ask one of them on occasion to you know let out the dog or take the the holes around the back or something or other but a butler is the only role that covers all of those when necessary so yeah I, I do work in the garden I cook I, I clean um, anything that's anything that's necessary and, and anyway you, you can't as a housekeeper or as, as someone you can, but as, as a butler, you can't walk past, uh, what's a stupid example, a, a toilet, for example, that's got a smear on the inside, and you can't just stand around and wait for someone to magically appear and clean it, or go into a different room and shout for someone to come in, because your employer might see it. You know, you come past it, you see it's there, you roll up your sleeves, you sort it out yourself. It's, it's you, you get stuck in with things. Yeah, I agree. Such a key role within the home, like you say, because you see everything, you notice everything, and you can support every division. A chef isn't about to go make beds, and a housekeeper no. isn't about to go cook dinner, but you obviously no. can assist well in all the areas, which is great for and your employer, um, for like for you, because it means that you get pulled in every direction at times. But, you know, it's part and parcel. It is, but it's, it's nice. I mean, a lot of this, a lot of this job is self-gratifying. I often say to people, you don't have to do this job if you expect to be thank you at every turn. Mm. Um, a, lot of, a lot of it is, is doing something and taking pride in the, in the idea that nobody could have done it better than you just did it. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's, it, it, it is all about that. And it's, it's about, you know, if, if, you're employ if all the staff has gone home and it's late at night and your employer suddenly calls and he says, you know, the football's on the television. I've got a couple of friends coming over. They might stay overnight. We might have something to eat. You have to be able to, you know, do all those things, make up a fresh bed, give all the rooms a tidy down, uh, cook something nice for them, set a table, make sure the house is clean, that everything is looked at. It, it, it's so important that you can cover absolutely everything, yeah. every aspect of a house. Um, and like I said at the, at the start of a conversation, uh, the whole thing with, with being able to look after a plant room, knowing how a boiler works, knowing how a, a, a two and, and um, you know a flow pipe works, um, being able to do and all that kind of stuff, service cars, it it all adds up to making your employer's life better, and that's that's what we do. Yeah, completely agree. Um, how's COVID affected you and your house and your team and work? Like, do you live in? I live in yes. Okay. Um, so yeah, the initial initial lockdown, we we all we all stayed home, and my employers were very um, were very generous and kind in, in paying everyone their full wage uh, rather than going on the furlough scheme. Um, and but but obviously we didn't um, we didn't get to do a whole pile. We we were 
asked not to come into the house for for fear that we might you know have picked up some something on our travels or or touch things um so i tried to do a bit of work around the around the outside of the estate i gardened a bit i kept the terraces clean i kept uh, the gutters clean or those gutters that i could reach with a ladder um i i got contractors in to look after after things that um you know, tree surgeons, that kind of stuff that didn't involve touching anything my employers might touch, uh, but stuff that needs doing anyway. Um, and after a couple of weeks, you know, I went back into the house at my employer's request, um, very cautiously with a mask on, with gloves on, um, changed gloves every time you, you've uh, done a room, um, wash your hands constantly, wash your gloves constantly. Um, and I, I picked up all, all the bits, housekeeping bits, cooking bits, um, looking after wardrobe and ironing and all that. Because um, obviously they they know how to do it, but they don't have time to do it. They don't feel like doing it. Um, and, and, and the house had, had slipped into what I would call below par standards. Mm. Um, anyway, so I was, I was really grateful that they... Uh, um, that they allowed me to come back and at least allowed them to live in a bit more of a of an appropriate um, standard. Well, I think that was sort of quite similar across the board, where at the very beginning in March, April, where it's sort of lockdown, no one knew what the future held. So everyone just did lockdown and, and sort of kept their yeah. distancing. But then when, when people realised that this was going to be an ongoing thing, I think it was soon apparent that families were going to have to find a way to allow staff back because the house needs to be maintained. And so, and obviously here we still are like bloody months later and, you know, we're having to find a way of working safely, aren't we? So, um, well, it's good that you're able to sort of stay. Um, and it's, I mean, it's now, now it's a lot better, you know, things have gotten a lot, people have gotten very sort of lexidaisical with the whole, the whole call. People are getting used to it now. It's here, it's probably not going to go away for a while. And so, you know, all, all the staff has been back for a couple of months now and it's, it's turning back to normal. Yeah. Uh, keep an eye on the news, but... Yeah, yeah, I think everyone's just sort of desperate to, maybe not go back to normal, but just find some new normal, and it's yeah. just super boring to talk about, but yeah. Um, okay, fab, well look, time goes fast, as always, um, lots to talk about, um, there's loads more I want to talk to you about really, but we do need to sort of move the conversation on and give you the rest of your sort of day and sure. So, um, we always move on to the next couple of sections um, to, to sort of wrap things up. Um, have you got anything, a, a, an interesting story you want to share with us? A bizarre, uh, something bizarre that might have happened at work or something that your mates in the pub would be like, that never happened. Is there anything that you can share? Yeah, with it's, it's not, it's not so much, it's not so much a story, but, but I, I, I did have this, this, this stint where um, I was, I, I was asked to protect, children had planted a whole heap of seeds and flowers and vegetables and that kind of thing in a patch in the garden. And of course, that's what happens. Birds come down and eat all of it, and then nothing happens to it, and then plants don't grow. Um, so my my people I was working for at the time said, "Look, would you the children will plant it again? Well, you just make sure that for a couple of days, you know, the birds don't eat it and, and try and prevent." So I, I spent a couple of days, um, very intensive days, running around like a, like a madman, flapping my arms at all kinds of birds and things, <laughs> and, 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 and screaming to get, keep to keep the animals away, and. Um, and it, it, I mean, it, 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 it did work, and the birds didn't, didn't eat it, and, and, and some plants grew, and all that kind of thing. So it's, it's uh, a stint as, um, what would you call it, as, as a living scare, human scarecrow. Um, it, it just goes to show, doesn't it, how you're, you could, you could go to work, and you could end up doing something you'd never thought you would do. Can you just put a net over it? It could have, you know, but in the short term, that's, um, yeah. I mean, at, at, after, after a couple of days, we just troubled more dirt over it and, and you know, stuff happened. But, um, yeah, some, sometimes, sometimes the, 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 quick, the quick solution isn't necessarily the, um, the, the first one most people think about. You're sat there um, flapping around thinking, we didn't go to this in Butler School. <laughs> no, absolutely not. No. <laughs> well, it just goes kind of to show that you could be asked to do anything at any time, doesn't it? Yes. Honestly, I love stuff like that. It's just stuff that other people just wouldn't. It just blows people's minds. Some of the stuff that we do sometimes. That's cool. It does. It really does. Yeah. Um, okay. Cool. Right. A few quick fire questions, and I'll let you get on with your day. So, sure. um, do you prefer to live in or live out? 
Um, I prefer to live in just because it gives me more of a chance to be close to my employer if he needs me late at night. Um, like I've, I've had it in my current job as well. That I get I get the call at 2 a.m. and we've had uh, electricity outage and the house alarm is going nuts. Can you come and sort it out for us? I can't do that if I live 15 minutes away. Or well, I can't do it as easily. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I, I, pref I prefer a live-in situation. So see, I completely agree with you, and I see this. I think there's huge benefits to living. A, it's a big cost savings, accommodation provided, etc. But um, equally can be on hand but I, I think you're the first person I've spoken to on this podcast who has said that I think a lot of other people have said the live out route because they uh, aren't called on at two in the morning so it just goes to show how maybe the roles that you've had have been um, uh, uh, involved and hands-on and you've been there all the time so I think it's just show the kind of member of staff that you are you like to sure, but I, mean, I, mean, I maintain to my employers that you know even if I go on holiday or whatever so if there is a problem call me please do it if i can come home i will if i need to come home i will if it's the middle of the night i'll wake up i'll put on a suit i'll come and help you out that's what i'm here for you know it's my job please yeah. please use me yeah, yeah good for you good for you um have any of your roles ever involved travel Are you ever ever required to travel with no. your family no no it's 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 in my current contract that if, if they ask um they, that they may ask for it and again i've always said if you need me i will but i have never been asked because your current employer has two homes is that right three three homes but you're predominantly based at one yes okay. and because they're all based because because they're all based in the uk i can travel to them by car and it's um it's a lot easier that way I suppose the benefit of not travelling with your family is when the family are travelling, you have an empty house of which you can do work that you could not you can, do. You can do so much. You can put all the furniture on a big heap outside, and you can re-wax the floor, you can clean other things that are normally too heavy to move. It's, it's, it's such a, yeah, it's, it's so helpful. So you kind of want to say to your, your principal, trust me, you're best not taking me because I'm going to do a lot more for you back here. Um, do you have a preference on whether you work in a large team or a small team, having done both now? Uh, no, honestly not. Yeah, it's just different, isn't it? It is, it really is. And it depends on the needs of the estate. I mean, if you're working in a, in a, in a house that has 120 rooms, you can't, you can't easily yeah. do it with five people. You need help. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, how, the families that you've worked with, do they have pets? Yes. Um, first family had um, four dogs and a very vicious parrot. Um, a current family has just one dog. Uh, but I've got I've got two dogs myself, so uh, pets is all uh, all fun and games. And, and my current employers very kindly allow me to uh, take my own dogs along when I when I walk theirs um, oh, in the morning. So, that's so, so good. Uh, we a lot of the roles that we recruit for, not many principals want their staff to have their dogs there, especially if you live in. So that's um yeah. that's a great um part of the role role for you, I guess, that you can have your dogs there. It is. It is. Yeah, that's good. And I suppose from the principal's point of view, if you have your own dogs, it proves to them that you're obviously good with animals and, you know. It does, it, it does, it does add, like they say on occasion, it does add a guard aspect to the, to the house because I live in a gatehouse. Um, anything that comes in, uh, the dogs get angry at. It's, um, you know, it adds a certain security feel to, uh, to the place. Yeah, fair. Um, what's the, why do you do what you do? What's the main reason you do what you do? What do you love about oh, So many reasons. Um, at, the, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, I've, I've always worked in service, whether it was a call center job or whether I did the IT consultancy bit, it's, it's always been service oriented. And it's, it's about, um, oh, a lot of people say, um, you know, prominent people or, or people that um, people that have a lot of a, a lot of say, a lot of uh, say in different places. They say things like, if these policies that I've enacted or if this road I've taken makes a difference for one person, it'll have been worth it. And in, in a way, bottling is very much like that. I have the unique opportunity to use my life and, and my experience and my skills to better the lives of other people. And just knowing that I'm able to do that, that I'm able to save people time and save people money and just be able to people, you look, you wake up in the morning, you open your eyes and everything will happen for you magically and be able to do that for a person. There is no better feeling in the world than that.
That's so lovely. You're literally uh, significantly improving people's lives. Yes. Yeah, lovely. I can see how that, I can see why people that are passionate in this industry, I can see why they find it so rewarding because they take such, you know, uh, great reward from that side of things. Do you know what I mean? Like they take so, yes. so much from that, which is so lovely. People find it a privilege to do, to work in the sector and to serve. Absolutely. Them people like an absolute privilege so um yeah it, i just love it that's just where the passion is just the passion isn't it it's fantastic it is. i mean service service is its own reward service is not a chore service is a reward and you really have to see it that way because it's it's true and yeah. there is no other place than in this job where you where you realize that i mean if my if my physical and, and mental capacities obviously um keep playing along and uh, I've, I've got really good genes in that respect happily um, I'll, I'll never retire. I'll do, the, I'll do this until I die. Love it. Well, this brings me to my final question. I was going to say, what does the future hold for you then? You, I, you've obviously answered the question. You see yourself working in the private sector for the rest of your career. Yes, I will. The whole COVID thing makes it a bit difficult now. I am looking at launching my own uh, business um, with the idea because I, I feel when I speak to a lot of younger colleagues especially, I feel there is a lot of room for improvement, for raising standards, for the way people do things. Um, and I want to be able to leave this industry saying that not only I have done well with the people I've worked for, but I have improved the standards of the industry in general um, to, to, to bring brought them to a better place. I think that's absolutely fantastic. When that time comes, if there's anything that we can be involved in to help support uh, this new business venture, you let us know, because I think that if we can all play our part in um, contributing to the industry, raising the standards, raising awareness, yeah. raising, you know, the level just across the board is... And that's why, I'm, that's why I'm so impressed by you doing this podcast. I think it's a really helpful thing and something the industry could really use and really needs. Um, if only to create more awareness for all the stuff we do um, or for people who might want to move into it. Uh, there's, there's a couple of people, uh, there's, there's a gentleman on LinkedIn called Carl Donnelly, who's a very up and coming face in the industry. Um, I've got a lot of respect for. Um, there is Simeon uh, Rosset. I'm really looking forward to listening to your, your interview with him now, um, who's doing a lot to improve standards and, and the way things are done in the industry and who's, who's made a really good name for himself. Um, and if I could at some point join that... Uh, Exalted Assembly, I think uh, my life will be well spent. Ah, oh, well, I have no doubt that you will. Absolutely no doubt that you will. So, um, so that brings us to a sort of natural end. So thank you so much for your time, Brian. Um, thank you. To everybody that's been listening, um, as I sort of say every week, please come and rate and review. Please share. Please tell other people in your, in, your, in your sort of team. Like, let's spread the word. Please tell people about the podcast please sort of spread the word. If you want to be a guest, please drop me an email at philippa at silverswanrecruitment.com. Um, I'd love to get you on. Um, and then um, if we can help you with your job search, there's lots of people looking for work at the moment. Or if you're looking for staff, please come and visit our agency, Silver Swan Recruitment. So thanks everybody and I'll see you all next week.